Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm Scott Lease here with my good friend, Richard Harris. And we are very excited today to talk to yet another sales leader from the UK, about 30 miles north of, uh, of London. Jules White is the Chief Inspiration Officer for Live It, Love It, Sell It. And we are very excited to talk to her today. Welcome to the show, Jules. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're really glad that you, you, uh, you, could, you could join us. We've been on this kick lately where we're trying to connect with more folks from, uh, from the other side of the Atlantic and, and, and try to learn from you all and, and exchange ideas and, and tips and tricks and try to understand some of the differences in, in selling styles. So, um, yeah, we're, we're really excited. I know that you participated yesterday in the uh, transatlantic Throwdown number two, the, the the women's event. Was that a lot of fun for you? It sure seemed like you guys had fun. Oh, it was amazing, honestly. We, we really did have fun. It was incredibly close. It was um, quietly competitive, a bit quieter than you boys, because I did watch your boys' version. Um, not quite as much trash talk as they kept saying it was called. Um, but it was really great. And I think some of the gold that came out of that for the audience, I got loads of messages yeah. saying, you know, it was wonderful, great tips. Thank you so much. So it was amazing. Yeah, great. it was really good. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, the, I think that those, the two events, both the men's and women's event, um, they, were, they were a lot of fun. They, we had huge numbers in terms of registrations and people showing up, um, unique, creative kind of format. And, and I think that, um, you know, that's what made it a blast rather than just the standard kind of, you know, webinar or chit chat and Zoom calls that everybody's uh, everybody's on. So um, I'm thinking we should get, we should advance it to to double elimination round, Scott. <laughs> right. So the two the two winners, and then we have the loser bracket, and then the you know then we go back and sort of go through that. So I think it would be good. Uh, I, I think I actually think you could make a whole series out of this. I yeah. truly do. We're working on it. Yeah, we are. Uh, I've, I've been telling Daryl, who was the moderator, Daryl Prail um, from Vanilla Soft, I've been telling him that we should create a World Cup of selling. Yes. yes. And I you have it. people from every, you know, location you can think of and create this whole kind of tournament and uh, turn it yeah. into a fun global kind of event. I think that would be a blast. So yeah. in, in our spare I time, we'll all work on that. I think the other thing we should do is mix it up. I want to be on a mixed team. I want to be in with the boys. And I think that would be really yeah. fun too. Lots, you know? of, lots of ways we could take it. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's tell, awesome. us, tell us in the audience, you know, a little bit about you and, and your business and, and what you do, just so people have some context. Yeah, sure. So I've um, been in sales for 32 years. Um, yeah, I know you boys are going to say, I just don't look old enough. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. so I say the same thing. I've been in it that long and I don't look old enough. <laughs> you don't, Richard, you don't. Um, but yeah, 32 years of selling. And what's really nice is I've sold in really um, lots of sectors. So I've sold stainless steel, advertising, hospitality, digital marketing, recruitment. You know, there's this long list of the areas I've sold in. And I feel really grateful because that's given me a really breadth, you know, of, of learning around sales. And then I uh, had a business that I took into Dragon's Den. Now you guys, I think in the USA have Shark Tank. Is that right? That's right. This is, yeah. this is the same version of the show that, that you have over there? Yeah, yeah. So it's called Dragon's Den in the UK. 
Okay. Um, and I took a business in there and I got investment from Peter Jones, who's that really tall one, if you remember him. Um, and really, you know, that I, I had a massive experience with that business. It was wonderful. I grew it to a million pound business, hugely successful and lost everything. So that's kind of the really short version of that part you, of the journey. Are, are you comfortable sharing like what happened in the lost everything period? What are the lessons yeah. learned in the, yeah. the warning shots that other entrepreneurs should, you know, be, uh, be aware of? Yeah, no, I'm fine sharing. And I think, um, it's good to share this sort of thing really. So I didn't take Peter Jones's investment. I had another investor come on board and I grew the business very um, organically and also 20 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, that kind of thing, completely burning myself out. I had a small baby, completely nuts, but year three, we had amazing success. And what had happened is I had been in the business and not on it. And consequently, when we got huge demand, we didn't have the foundations in the business to fulfill the demand that we were getting. So no systems, no stock systems, because we were a retail um, company, not enough staff. Me and my dad, who I think was in his mid 70s at the time, were, were working every hour to fulfill every order. It just wasn't sustainable. So we needed more money to be able to actually put in the systems we should have probably put in right at the beginning. My partner at the time, my business partner said, I'll put in whatever you want, but I want 75% of your business. And I just said, That's no. a big ask. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'd done all the work and I- Like a bad episode of Shark Tank. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I said no, but she then took me into administration. So because I didn't have that cash to put in, she just cut everything off, took the business down and bought it back and started it the next day. And so really I did lose everything, literally. Uh, I had a bankruptcy, um, I had a failed marriage, I lost a baby. I mean, it was just oh. back to back. Um, and then I lost my mum. My mum passed away, which was really um, terrible, you know. Um, and then three years on, my dad did. So I had this kind of seven years, I would say, of loss after loss after loss, you know. And I just thought, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. Ultimately, I had a small baby and I needed to go back to work. So I went back and I got a job. And of course it was in sales because what else did I know how to do? So I literally started again in sales, on the road, repping. Individual, individual contributor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, and from that, I got a head of sales role and I got a sales director role. And of course, this is all building up this fabulous experience that I've now got in this business, which I started three years ago. So I finally got the chance to do my own thing again. And I started Live It, Love It, Sell It. And so this is my baby, my second baby. And it's about... What do, you, yeah. what, do you, what do you focus on? Tell, tell everybody what you focus on with Live It, Love It, Sell It. Like what's, yeah. your, what's your ideal customer and what's your, you know, kind of message, that, you know, main message that you... That you yeah, want. sure. So ideal customer, I kind of got two products. So I've got Live It, Love It, Sell It, which is very much for the entrepreneur. So these are the guys who are super talented, starting their own business. Maybe they've never sold before, you know, that kind of, kind of entrepreneur. And they always say, I can't sell. I've never been in sales. I don't know how to sell. So I've got this fabulous uh, coaching program for them. Second stream for me is the corporate. 
Um, but in the UK, we call it the SME market. So the small, medium enterprise market, which makes up 90 plus percent of the businesses in the island in the UK. And these guys are the ones who have their sales teams. And so I want to work with those teams and I want to help them to all develop. And I have UHP. Okay, so you guys will have heard of USP. Remember, don't forget to tell everyone your USP. Unique selling um, proposition. Yeah, right? yeah your unique yeah. selling proposition. And then uh, came along. I don't UBP. even remember that one. Scott, you're uh, much older than me on this one. Uh, Richard, uh, no, I'm obviously a lot older. Um, but it was a big focus in sales training. You must know what your USP is. You know, that's what defines you from everybody else. And then UVP was something people started to talk about, the unique value proposition, which is great because that makes it, I think, a bit better. But then I decided it was actually about UHP, which is a unique human proposition, because ultimately this is about people and people by people. And I wanted to look at a sales team and say, what are the individuals you have in that team? And start thinking about them bringing their personal brand as they sell, you know, rather than it being this scripted, structured, robotic type of selling, which we see all the time. Let them be them and show up as uniquely. How do you, how do you, how do you define personal brand? Like this is a, this is the, one of the buzzwords of 2020, right? Yeah. Everybody's going to yeah. have a brand. What's your yeah. brand going to be? Um, Cause there's a, you know, you know, I know that I've worked on having a brand, but then I also get, I get, um, imposter syndrome around my brand. Scott and I talk about this a lot. Um, Scott's got a great brand, um, as, as well. How do you help people even define what their brand is? How do they even know to try and define that? Like, where do you even yeah. start with somebody? I guess is the question. Yeah. So I start with things like your strengths and values. So this is the real you, you know, your personal brand is uniquely who you are. So I look at your strengths and your values. I start really getting you to see what you believe in and actually what you're great at. You know, half the time, certainly in the UK, we're really quite shy about saying what we're good at. And so I really focus on that. That builds confidence. That stops the imposter syndrome. We talk about fear. You know, so I do quite a bit of the personal coaching type of things at the beginning, which is actually the live it part. This is the mindset bit. So How did you... Like, yeah. So, because I find this fascinating and, you know, for, for that period of time, I'm, I'm so empathetic for all the loss you had. And for seven years, wow. Like, so I, I really have two questions. One is, how did you keep moving day by day forward? But I think for the point for this moment, how did you, how did that help you define your brand? Had you thought about defining a brand before that? Or was it like, okay, now that I'm into this new realm, I need to redefine myself. No, I think um, the journey defined me uh, and who my brand was because I, I grew courage. I, I started to learn more about who I truly was. Um, I was told a few times I'd got bounce back ability. I don't know if you've heard of that word over there. I've never, heard, of the, I've never heard it phrased that way, but I love it. Yeah. Isn't it wonderful? Bounce back um, ability. Bounce yeah. back ability. And, and people said it to me and I was thinking, I love this, you know, so actually I'm going to own a bit of that. Um, and a lot of it was, I had a small, small boy, Richard. So, you know, he was my, he's my world. He's 15 now. So I did a lot of stuff for him. I wanted to show him that who his mom was. Um, and I learned so much about myself, you know, through grief and loss, you learn a lot about who you truly are. 
So I just took one day at a time sometimes, you know, I had the days I couldn't get out of bed, but I had the other days where I got up and my, my father was just the most wonderful man. So was my mum, by the way. But my dad always said to me when I was a little girl, there's no such word as can't, you know, this was his thing, is the mantra. Um, and I took that on board and it's his legacy that he's left me. You know, I, I truly believe if I really want to do something, I can do it. So. That's great. How did you, and this is something I, we'll come back out of it, but, but you're there. At that stage of your life, how did you, and, and I understand you sort of one day at a time, but how did you handle sort of the mental health aspect of this, right? You know, it's something that I think is super critical, particularly now, not just in COVID, but just in 2020. It's slowly becoming something we can talk about. Um, I, I think it's built into the title of your program, right? Um, how did you handle that for yourself? And then how do you help others in that part? Because I know you talked a little bit about building their courage and confidence and things like yeah. that, but I'd love to go a little deeper than that. If you don't mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally had counseling at times in my journey. You know, I, I'm, you can't do it on your own. You've got to accept sometimes you need some help. Um, yeah, so I had, I'm a big I had, fan. Yeah, I had counselling. I had, I was lucky to have a couple of fantastic counsellors. One lady told me something that changed my whole perspective. Where she said to me, uh, "You you always choose how you feel about something. No one can make you feel anything that you don't choose to feel." And honestly, that was such a defining sentence for me because all of a sudden. I realized I could choose whether I felt upset about something, whether I was angry about something. It's, it's hard. This is not simple stuff. But just knowing that you actually choose how you feel, you know, um, yeah. that was massive, massive. For me. How, do you, how do you translate that into your coaching, right? Because I, I can see, I, 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 you know, I took that as a, as a note for, you know, what we put on it, but I'm like, oh, that's really good, right? But we do have to go through a lot of emotions and sales. Right. And to your point, you have to get people over different humps to get into the yeah. sales role. Yeah. And any, any suggestions on how you manage to choose those feelings, right? Cause we're still human, right? It still hurts when we lose a deal. Right. Yeah. Um, totally. what, 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 think, what's the um, advice you use? I think because of the way I've done live it, love it, sell it. Let, let's say it's a sales road trip. Okay. Because I like that. And that's quite American. Um, so live it's about, are you fit to travel? So this is the, the you stuff, the mindset. The, the love it part is about knowing why you do what you do. So why do you sell what you sell? Or why do you work where you work? What, what's the love that you have for that? Because if you don't love that, then how can your customer love what you've got to sell them? And then marrying that up with this ideal client and actually what they need and their world, you know? And that's what I call planning the route. And then the seller is about getting, reaching the destination. That's traveling the, the, to the destination. So in answer to your question, the whole coaching process starts with you because it can't start anywhere else. And we deal with all those kind of mindset things, fear, you know, strengths, values, who are you? And the fact that you don't have to sell to everyone. You don't, and you can't sell to everyone. So then you're comfortable knowing who you are as you're selling and who they are and what they need from you. So it's like this matching of human, the human stuff, really. That's what I really focus on in lots of different methods in that, Richard. But that's, that's kind of the whole principle behind it. 
I, I'm a big fan of anybody who creates like a new kind of refreshing twist on a sales methodology or sales process rather than somebody who's copycatting other things. So <clears throat> I love that you've, you've kind of built this and created this on your own and it, it makes sense for you and it, it works for your clients and everything. So I want to go change the conversation a little bit. We talked the other day and you told me basically that, you know, uh, us here in the States, like get what sales is all about. And the Brits are still far behind and still a bit too old school. Um, so I want to, I want you to kind of expand on, on that for me and, and, and help me understand, you know, why that is. I would argue that you're not that way, just based on what you just said and how you walk. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. How, how you, you just walk this through, like, you know, your whole fresh approach and that's unique and, and, and different and stuff. Why do you, why do you, why did you say that to me, you know, the other day? What does it mean to you? I think what I see, and, and again, you know, the caveat here is that I haven't spoken to every sales coach in America, but the sales coaches I've connected with on LinkedIn, uh, the people like Dale Dupre, I call him my brother from another mother, um, you know, and, and you guys, when I watched you on the, the throwdown, the things that you talk about are the right things. You talk about the people in, in, in sales, you talk about the customer, you talk about relationships, you talk about empathy, understanding, you know, these are, this is the language that I want to hear around sales. We still have uh, a culture in the UK in pockets, because they're not all bad, by the way, but there is still this culture of the old school process driven sales methods. You know, the um, uh, fact find, the objection handling, the closing the sale. And I'm using that language because it really defines for me the fact that they are going through a process. And I don't believe there's room then for the human part in that process. You know, I call it the emotional glue. We need to put emotional glue into a process somewhere. And that's where live it, love it, sell it starts to bind it all together. Because yes, of course, you go on a journey with your customer. Of course you do. It's, it's the buyer's journey most of the time these days because they're much more in charge. But I think we're still stuck in the textbook methodology of the way we teach sales. And it's, it's not quite, we can't let it go. We can't quite let it go. Does that make sense? Do you, do you think that, um, do you think that's because you're the sort of selling community in the UK? It's just like only looking for feedback and learning from others in the UK and maybe not expanding their, their relationships or their network, if, if that makes sense. Like I, Richard and I both, Richard had this amazing event the other day where there was like a thousand people on, on, his, on his training and he was showing me the map of where everybody was located and it was everywhere. Like the whole, I mean, almost, you could put a pin in almost any country and, and there was at least somebody from there. And that just showed me like how Richard has cultivated his you know, network to be global which means he's interacting with people with different perspectives and viewpoints, learning from them, probably incorporating it into his own work. Is that not what's happening in the, in the UK? Is that maybe part of the reason? I think that might be part of the reason. It's happening for some of us. As, as I've mentioned, I'm definitely, I've got contacts all over the world now, which is so exciting. You know, we couldn't have done this when I was younger. We didn't have any of this technology. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm all up for, for connecting all over the world. 
um, definitely. And I'm not sure if our culture is still quite there with that. I think also what happens is we get a bit lost in the safety net, the safety net of the old school process. Well, you know, it's always worked, hasn't it, for years. It's always worked, so we should probably follow that, you know, and I think there's a little bit of that attitude in it. It's the brave people, I think, that step beyond the sales targets and the revenue to find the other things that are amazing about sales. And, and one other reason, uh, Scott, is that I had um, a really great role in this uh, venue. So it was conference venue, big conference rooms, bedrooms, spa, hotel. We were two million pounds off a six million pound target. Okay, that's massive miss. It's it's bad bad news. And our that's not good. it's not good. Our sales director would come out of his office and he would say, "We need to sell more." And we and we would say, "Well, what do you want us to do, boss? Make more calls." He'd say, and he'd go back in his office and he'd shut the door. And then eventually he went. No surprise, obviously. And then they put me in charge of all of these people who'd been my peers and I'd worked alongside them. I hadn't even been there as long as them. Suddenly I'm the boss, right? And I've got a two million pound deficit. So what do I do? I cannot possibly start to drive target with these guys because it hasn't worked. I got to find out something else. And I did live it, love it, sell it. I found out the UHPs they all had, what their strengths were, what they loved doing, who they wanted to sell to why we did what we did, why was our venue great? You know, all those lovely things. And within 18 months, we smashed 6 million target by 180K. Now, you know- 190 this, pounds, that's awesome. 100, 180K, 180,000. Oh, 180K, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, th I thought you were like just over the line, no, but it's still, that's amazing. <laughs> no. <laughs> we, we, Wins we a win, a, right? It, it was, yeah, exactly that. To get them to 6 million was amazing, but we did it as a team. And do you know what, we didn't, ever chase the target we just didn't yeah. and that's why i know this works that's why i know your people bring you your targets so how do you moving into a future state right you know we're, we're doing this on i think what may 20th give or take a day uh, 2020 what do you think the future of sales is going to look like for the rest of this year and then even into 2021 like what's your you know it's a, it's a fun question because nobody really knows. So I, I, it's always interesting to hear what people are experiencing. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting because yesterday I took selling in the pandemic question because I'd, okay. I'd literally just run a webinar on it um, because I was really interested in what this looks like at the moment and what our reactions been and what we should do next. And, you know, everybody's talking about this anyway, but we have to start selling in everything I've just talked about for the last 15 minutes is how we need to sell. That's the first thing. But the second thing is it's going to be about identifying the markets that actually can survive this, the markets that are flourishing, um, the people who have actually innovated and pivoted and started to just change how they did things. So who are you seeing? Maybe not who. What are you seeing as the pivots in the innovation? Yeah, um, in the UK, uh, we're seeing things from manufacturing because a lot of their stuff just stopped. But instead of stopping, they started to make different things that were right for the current market and that were right for their customers and what they needed now. Um, IT is, is carrying on. Nothing's really changed there in their market. They're still flourishing, if not uh, actually exceeding people like zoom imagine what zoom's done over the last few weeks 
Um, also, we've had things like training and uh, coaching companies have switched everything online. And now the people who were furloughed, did you have furlough in the USA? Yeah, absolutely. We did. Yeah. Well, the people who were furloughed could still train in the UK. So training yeah. lifted, more people wanted training, and more people now want to actually upskill their people, the ones they've got left, if they've made redundancies, because they want to go back out flying into the market. So there's a lot of, lot of things happening, but you've got to find the pockets where they are. What do you think about sort of the, you know, the, the outside salesperson, right? Like this person, you know, uh, has been deeply affected. Um, and it's interesting to me because I've always been an inside salesperson and I don't think it's that hard. And I've done outside sales. Yeah. And so for me, it's very natural to be inside. But now you have these people who, you know, even you, maybe you're having this conversation who are panicked or scared or fearful that I don't know how to do it this way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What, what are you seeing around that? And how are you coaching those people? Yeah, we're seeing all sorts of things because the extroverts need to be with people, you know, and they can't touch and hug people. I'm a hugger. You know, if I was with you guys now, you'd be getting a hug each, whether you wanted one or not, you know. Um, and this is a big thing. This is a mental health issue for people as well. So I think not only have we got to give them techniques so that actually they can do the online selling, which is super to do, and there are huge advantages of it, actually. What are, in your mind, right, if you think about people going from outside to inside, what are two or three things an outside person needs to adjust in their sales skill um, to, to work well in inside sales? Yeah, I think um, if you're looking at things like remote selling, so like instead of us meeting now, Richard, we don't, we're having to do this, and that's the sales meeting. You've got to think about things like the Zoom fatigue. You must have all heard about that, you know. We're getting oh, yeah. really tired. We can't connect so well. Our brains have to work 10 times as quickly, you know. So we've got to think about that. So the meetings need to be shorter, but they need to be much more focused and planned. And it's a massive opportunity for us to do business in places we could never have done business because we may have had to travel, you know, and think of the travel time that we're cutting down on. And it's about looking at the advantages for them of doing this from their breakfast bar in their kitchen instead of having to drive a thousand miles around the country. Um, there's no difference in many ways apart from the fact that we can't touch each other, I think. So it's just about actually fine tuning those online skills, which are really easy yeah. to do. It's interesting you say that because I think you're right. And I think this is where it was natural for me as I built my consulting business. Um, and I would go out and meet people, but even in my first phone calls, I've, I mean, I am crisp to what my first 25 minutes of that conversation was like, right? And I know how to direct people to the right parts of the conversation that I know they want to have, not me, you know, just sort of dictating it. Um, and every now and then you go over, but, but to your point, you can't have an hour long qualification discovery call in most cases, right? And you, so you've really got to tighten it up. Um, and, and it's interesting because for me, that's a natural thing to do. Yeah, I can see too. for an outsider, outside salesperson that, that doesn't feel so natural to them. But I think the big thing for them is they're going to get even better at what they do. That's what I think too. Focused, yeah. I, I mean, look, you know, inside sales is always being seen as sort of a lesser role for a lot of people. Um, I'm in the Silicon Valley, Scott's in Austin. So inside sales for us is actually, I think, not seen that way anymore. And I sort of yeah. 
I've always sort of snickered back at the outside salesperson. And now I'm going, yeah, how's that going for you now? Yeah, 30 years later. So, uh, to your you know, point. There's, there's, there's one other thing that's really interesting, um, you guys, about this online selling, um, is that we can now see ourselves. I don't know if you've thought about that, but it's a really big thing. We can now see ourselves when we're talking to a customer and face to face, you can never ever do that. That doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And that's really had quite a profound effect on some people that they're very conscious about how they look and, and their mannerisms and things like that. And, and that's a really interesting dynamic on online selling. I, I mean, look, it's, it's not, it's hard looking this pretty. I know for me, <laughs> like, right. God, I, I have this that. battle all the time right like i've got you know i've got a whole makeup crew behind me so i know i know but it, it is funny and i i will tell you like as 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 a human you know I've, I've always i've always been concerned about my weight and there are definitely times where i'm on podcasts with scott and i'm, and I'm sometimes doing this and i'm putting my hand under my chin because i just don't want people to sort of see i don't think i have a huge double chin but i'm like i don't want people to see that and um and and you're right it, i mean it forces a different level of vulnerability yeah. Um, which is important. The other thing though, is that when I do that, it also means I'm now disconnected. I put a barrier exactly. between me and you, even though there's already a physical barrier between us. So, yeah, um, exactly. it, it is fascinating because I think people, people know that and are aware of it. Um, and I think, and you know, I, not to be completely stereotypical, I think men are paying more attention to it now than they used to. I think women have always been a little bit more conscious about the yeah. presentation in some degrees. Um, you know, it's, it, you know, just for me, I get to roll out of bed like this. So it's easy for, but you know, well, so do I, right. <laughs> so do <I'm> I. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what do you think about from the buyer side? Like I see again, another advantage is, and we've been seeing it for years that, you know, Oh, you know, yeah, you can sell something for $5,000 over a phone call and never meet somebody. Then it was 10. Then it was 20. Now it's six figure deals, even seven figure deals. You don't have to meet anybody. Like mm -hmm. it's really a, a massive change in the dynamic from the buyer side. Mm -hmm. are, are you experiencing that as well? And, and how do you see that as, as either, as either a benefit or, or a challenge? I think it's, um, I think they're on a, a level playing field, actually, if I'm really honest, especially if we're both online together like this, you know, and, and the other thing is that I've got some really great friends who have been in really senior positions in large corporates as buyers. And I've had some great conversations with them because I think it's always good for the salespeople to find out what it's like to be a buyer. And you know, all they say to me every time is, I actually want a relationship with who I'm buying from. And, and we don't always think that. What we think is that they're gonna to wanna to batter us on price and negotiate and everything else. But nine times out of 10, they want value and who they're buying from before they even want price. Seriously, I'm seeing it more and more and more now. So. Yeah, yeah. So I've, been, I've been feeling that the connections for me, and I think it's because a lot of my calls previously weren't all Zoom, right, for sales calls. For me, they actually have become more intimate because I didn't always go see everybody. So now everybody does want to see, right? And for me, I think you also get people's much more direct attention yeah. in Zoom than you may be used to, right? And so if you yeah. can tighten up your, your conversation and you know, you know to look at the light, not look at the person, but sometimes you do and yeah, you can I'm maneuver those hard, things. Yeah, because I've got two of you and I want to look at both yeah. of you. So that's, yeah. yeah. 
So, so for me, I found it to be a little bit more intimate, but I also wonder if that's because I'm a little bit shyer in nature in terms of uh, when I'm from a social perspective. So it, it's very interesting. Um, it this is whole interesting. And also, but, you know, you, be, you become real. If I've been speaking to you on the phone, all of a sudden you're real now. I can see you. I can see what you look like. I can see your eyes. Totally agree. Yeah. That's, that's I, also, I, also think, I also think that people, everybody knows that these calls aren't always being recorded, but when they are and you know that it's being recorded, people are on a little bit better behavior. <laughs> Like, yeah. right. Unless it's me or Scott, like we're always jerks to people. Yeah, yeah and I can't. <laughs> I only have one mode of being. You know? <laughs> you're look, you're looking at it. Well, you've got a UHP then, haven't you? Scott? Yeah, you've got I, a UHP. I do. I do. <laughs> what was your uh, experience like with the TED Talk? Oh wow, this is actually quite a quite a cool story because I was um, told seven days before my TEDx. So you I, had seven days to prep. I had seven days, yeah. Wow. And um, so somebody else was supposed to be speaking, and she was a big adventurer from the Amazon. She'd been on the Amazon adventure, and she got a flesh-eating disease. Oh gosh! And she was so poorly she couldn't actually speak. <laughs> good for me, eh? Um, but not so good for her. But she was fine. She recovered, and that was really important. I found that out. But yeah, so I got this text from the curator who I'd met at another event. He heard me speak and he, he messaged, he said, you've got seven days, are you in? And that was the message I got. And I just put, you're joking, you're kidding me. But no, I'm not, do you want it? He said, and I said- I mean, this has to be one of those moments where you just say yes and then figure <laughs> it out later on, right? Yeah. Exactly. I used to have a boss who said to me, the answer's <laughs> yes. What's the question? But yeah, um, so I had seven days. I'd already got a few things I needed to do client-wise, so that narrowed it down to about two days to really prep. Now, um, can, I, can I ask a question? Now, did they tell you what the topic needed to be, or did you have to create a topic from, from thin air? No, so the, the theme of the, of the TEDx was adventures and journeys. Okay. Okay. Um, and the nice part of that was that I could then tell my story about my journey. <laughs> so I kind of, I kind of used that as an excuse to not have too much prep to do because I knew what my story was. And off I went to um, TEDx Brighton, sixteen hundred people in the audience. It's one of our largest TEDx's in the UK. Um, and yeah, stepped on the stage and for fourteen minutes told everyone my story. So, so what, what was it like when you stepped out on the stage and, and there's sixteen hundred people there? knowing that this is going to be, you know, recorded, like how well, I'm wondering how honest I can get you to be. How well did you know your, your speech or your presentation? Like how often were you Practicing. getting lost and kind of winging it and whatnot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the thing is, because it was my story, I sort of had this inner confidence that I knew what my story was, which was great. But I, I, the biggest thing, Scott, was I had 14 minutes, right? Yeah. This is the tough bit. I'd got to get all of that into 14 minutes. And, and feel like I wasn't rushing the end bit off, you know, too quickly. And but so but that, was, it, was it maybe helpful, though, knowing that, like, you didn't have to drone on for hours and hours? <laughs> like, like, no matter yeah. how I do, like, this is over in 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And also, I was able to take my story and say, right, I'll have three sections or I'll have, you know, because I like threes. I kind of cut it into three sections. I'm going to talk about this bit first. Then I'm going to take them to this. And then I'll finish with this. And so I was able to kind of make a bit of a story from it as well. So, because I love a bit of storytelling, um, especially in sales. 
but yeah, so, so this was great and it worked really, really well. Um, how did I feel? Well, I can only tell you that if ever I was going to do a parachute jump, which I am never going to do, you've got that recorded. I'm never going to do that because I'm so scared of heights, but I imagine this would, how it would be, be feeling. <laughs> if you jumped out of a plane the minute come you on. on that stage we can get yeah. you to do that i'll, no. I'll go with you no. god will go with you we'll hold your no. hand well so. i guess if someone was actually strapped to me i'd probably be all right because it's, how, you know. how do you how do you just out of curiosity what was your prep like like how many hours aside from the presentation part right? i don't know if you did slides or not some have slides so don't how did you study for this thing, right? I know there's a bunch of books about TED Talks and how to deliver. Did you just go down that route? Did they have a coach for you? Did you talk to five other people you knew who've done it? Like, or did you just go, all right, here's what I'm going to talk about and screw it. I'm just going to wing it for 14 minutes. The latter. <laughs> Come on. Like there was no, outline. you didn't even write down an outline? I love it. Yeah, I, I mean, there was... I guess the outline was as much as I said in terms of just kind of making it the journey. So look, where did I want to start in the story? And then what was the middle going to look like? And then where was I going to take them at the end? A really interesting bit. I don't know how long we've got. I don't want to go massively over time, but we've got, we've um, got like 10 minutes or so. Still. Yeah. I, I must tell you about the end of it because it's adorable. It's such a great story. So I've got my son, he's 15. So at the time he was probably just coming up to 14. And he sat here at the breakfast bar and I said to him, right, I've got this, Sam. I've got the story. I know what I'm going to say. How do I finish it? And he says to me, I know. He said, mum, you posted something only the other day. He said, and it said, is this going to be one day or is this day one? He said, it was brilliant, wasn't it? And I went, oh yeah, I liked that. I like that. I'm going to write it, he says. He wrote out this bit of script. And it said, I now want you to close your eyes and I want you to think of something that you are scared to do and you really want to do, but it frightens you. Skydiving. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. We'll leave that one. Um, and then he said, um, and now you say to the audience, mom, and now open your eyes and I'm going to ask you one question. Is it going to be one day or is this day one? And that was the end of the TEDx talk. That's wow. You know You've got it. He was 14. 14. You got a professional. And how old is he now? On your well, he's 15 and a half now. So his birthday's New Year's Day. So he's right. coming up to 16 on his next birthday. But honestly, it was just one of those moments. And so, like, my son wrote the end of my TEDx. How amazing is that? That's pretty cool. That's yeah. amazing. I, I, have you told that story? Like, have you written about that? Have you told it? Or do you try to not engage your, bring your son too much into the, the brand side of things. No, I don't. I, I like to talk about my dad and, and my mom when, when stories come up with my mom, but definitely talk about my Sam um, because he's kind of the reason why my first business was born. Um, and, and I just think he's a massive part of my life. So where's necessary, I'll talk about him. But I only told that story the other day for the first time. And I just thought it was so great. And she took a snippet and she made a video of it. She said, this is such a great story. She, she literally made a two-minute It is video. a great story. <laughs> so I thought I'll tell you, know. you guys as well. So. That's really well, Thank you. Yeah. That's yeah. really, really great. Yeah. So, so as, as, we, as we get to the end of this, so, you know, we always like to ask, how, how can we be supportive to you? What can we help Jules with? Um, is there a business problem you just want some advice on? Is there... No, I don't have fifteen-year-old. I I got a twelve and ten-year-old. So yeah, you're ahead of you're ahead of us on the parenting. We we should be yeah. asking you for advice. Yeah, yeah. I've been very lucky with my my boy. He's the, he's the dream. 
I think my question, I've got kind of two things really. I desperately want to get this methodology out. I mean, I just feel like it's really special and people I feel need to sell this way. Um, and I, I think you get that from our conversation today. So it's, the first question is, that how do I get this message and this, this methodology out so more and more people know about it? You know, it's just little me and I post yeah. on my social media every day and I do stuff like this and I work really hard at the PR side. How do I get this out so people can enjoy live it, love it, sell it? You know, uh, I'll, I'll go first, maybe, and then and then yep. Richard kind of tackle it. Um, so, <clears throat> I wouldn't say that. I would say that you're doing the right things, except you, on the surface, are not doing enough of them. So, if I look at your LinkedIn page right now, um, I have 10x the number of followers that you do, and yeah. that's not because you know. I, I have more experience or like the things I talk about make any more sense. That's just because I've spent years, you know, putting in the time to connect with as many people as you can possibly think of. Right. And consistently putting some kind of content out, you know, a couple times a week. Right. And, you know, being on every single podcast that I can think of saying yes to every single webinar, you know, or, or, you know, virtual event or back when we were doing face-to-face -face events, you know, doing those kind of things. Um, I also, you know, decided to put my own sales methodology into a book. Yeah, I've got a book. So, yeah. So, you know, using that and kind of, you know, for feedback for you, do whatever you want with it. But like my background image on my LinkedIn profile, like is a graphic of my book. So every time somebody sees me, they see the book. Um, I also gave away thousands of copies of my book. Like I made a post one time that said, you know, Hey, um, if anybody wants 25 or 50, I can't remember 50 or a hundred was like the threshold, um, you know, hit me up. And so here I am getting messages from my network, which is big. And now I'm mailing off boxes of books and those circulate amongst the sales teams. And then all those people send me messages and whatnot. So, um, you know, I, and I, I know you're doing all these kind of things and you, you have your own podcast as, as well. I think it's just more repetition in, increased, uh, increased effort and focus around it and kind of, you know, changing the, changing the goal or like what reads as win, right? So 5,000 followers, like to some people that might be, holy cow, that's like more than I can ever think of. But if you want to get this word out there and, and, and have more people know about you and your teachings and thought process, the audience has got to get bigger, yeah. right? Yeah. It doesn't matter how good the content is if there's nobody there to hear it or see it. Yeah, you're right. It's true. Yeah. 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 I would, yeah, so I would echo that um, on Scott. Uh, a couple of things, I would, I would do some things on your own. I, you know, I, I branded this thing called meat selling a couple of years ago, and I never pushed it. I never redid my website. I never renamed my company. I never did anything. And then finally in the last three months, I'm like, why am I not doing that? Like, and I had people tell me. So I think, you know, you want to sort of focus on that piece. Um, and, and just to Scott's point earlier, you know, I was really nervous about what was happening with business this year, obviously. And I said, well, you know, why don't I give away some stuff for free? 
so to speak, right? And we you know, see Scott, we, we talk about stuff all the time. And I just decided to go, and I saw a lot of my peers and friends, oh, for $99, I'll do an online session for you. Da, da, da. And I thought, that's cool. I could do that. And then I was like, what if I gave it away for free? And I called Scott. Scott's like, yeah, you should do it. I said, Scott, this is where my imposter syndrome always kicks in. Do <laughs> you want to do it with me? Like, would you do it with me? And he goes, you got this, man. Come on, you can do this. I told, I told him. So, yeah, he did. And about as polite a way as he could. And, uh, and I went for a leap. And, um, and I did it. And I was thinking, all right, well, maybe I'll get, you know, maybe 75 or 100 people register. Maybe 50 will show up. I had over a thousand people register. I had four or five hundred people. I had four or five hundred people on Monday and Tuesday, each day, um, for three hours, paying attention to me on Zoom. Did you do like, like a web webinar type thing, Richard? I did it as a Zoom meeting because I was able to. I stopped and did some role plays along the way. Yeah. But it's the same content I've taught everybody else. So, yeah. so for me, that's a huge piece, and I think that's a way you can build that that following. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's okay to give away some stuff for free. I think that, you know, my goal and I talked a lot about it was, um, was that the people are hurting right now. Like, I'm not going to try and take advantage of you. I'm, you know, everybody needs a little bit of help right now. Will I turn around and do it again in June and maybe charge? Sure. But if I do, I'm going to donate some to charity. Like I've already made that mental piece. Yeah. So I think those are, I think just putting yourself out there to Scott's point, but also doing it around you. Right. And, and finding your, you know, you get all of your UK team that you were on and you get everybody to share a post and then everybody to like it and then everybody to comment on it so that it creates, you know, uh, some momentum in the algorithm and things like that. Yeah. Those are yeah. just some little things that I think you could do. Yeah. Um, I, I, things I'm starting to do that I should have been doing years ago. I just put together my first ebook on interviewing, which is really a couple of my LinkedIn posts. And I just yeah. paid a marketer to make it look pretty. Yeah, right? it's just repurposing, really um, isn't it? Because you've already yeah, I've got that content. Yeah, yeah I, you know, for years I had my phrase of shit, my sales manager used to say, some are serious, some are funny. And Scott doesn't even know this. I, I just downloaded all of them from LinkedIn, and I'm going to put that into an ebook. Like, people have been telling me for years, these are hilarious, you should do something with it. And I'm like, yeah. all right, well, let's, I'll do an ebook, and that's free. You know, I'm not going to charge anybody for that stuff. So, so I think just creating that brand and value to your point, like, let me ask, this would be my last thing on this is to say, if you were coaching you, what advice would you give you? <laughs> right. That's such a great question, isn't it? Right. Um, <laughs> I'd smack myself around the face a few times. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and, and look, you've been through far more adversity than uh, half the people I know. Um, the only person I know who might have been through equal amount is Scott, and that's just because he's had 14 surgeries. So, um, yeah. but he hasn't—he hasn't had to go through the through some of the the other kinds of heartache you had. Um, yeah. But um, so I, I, you know, I think it's in there. And then I also think too, you have to decide what do you want your your business to be. Do you want it to be a lifestyle business, right, where you just have this great lifestyle? You're at this stage of life. You've got to, you know, you know, you're you're not, you'll never be done, but you know, you're about to launch Sam into the next evolution. Right. Yeah. And then there'll be another evolution a few years after that. So I think you have to make that decision too. I think um, that's the hardest, one of the hardest ones to make. Cause I've gone so many times to, Oh, let's look at scaling it. 
oh no let's not oh way i could scale it no no let's not so I, i've I been really this is that. yeah this is this would be my advice is that i finally figured out how to scale it by doing better doing more content so i finally found someone who's um building my ebooks for me she's created landing page she's a b testing my pay-per-click stuff and that's scaling my business but scaling doesn't mean I have to go get an employee, no, which is what I've wanted to resist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I think that for me is how I, right now I'm scared. That's how I'm scaling my business. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I would say I'm two months in, right? I think around the first week of April, I started it and, um, and I'm starting to see the results already. So. Yeah. I definitely try and do everything myself. So I think is there's time for me to perhaps oh, reach out to some other people. You, you need to have, go through Scott's delegation course. Yeah, Scott, you give her your ones, give her two yeah. sentences about delegation because he coaches me and teaches me you, all the time on this. I'll give you one sentence. Ready? Yeah. Never do something yourself that you can get somebody else to do for you. Yeah. Period. It's, so. it's a good sentence, Scott. It's a good <laughs> sentence. Scott has, I'm, I'm going to go on the record and, and to Scott's mom, by the way, Scott's mom and I need to have a conversation with Elton Scott one day. Um, You're her favorite human, Richard. I know. But Scott's, Scott's got his mom helping him do stuff. Oh, yeah? Right? And she wants to. She's, yeah. she, it's a way for her to connect, right? Um, and, and to Scott's point, like, I think the other thing that... 73 years old, uh, stuck at home for the last couple of months. She's pinging me all the time. Hey, what can I do? Okay. Yeah. 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 Happy to... So, the, the other thing I would say, I, and this is a good friend of ours taught me this one. Henry taught me this one, Scott, which is take your annual salary, right? And you can literally break it down by seconds. Like how many seconds are there in 365 days? And you take your annual money and you say, that's what, that's what my time is worth. And can I find somebody to do something for me so that I can go do this other project? Yes. My time is worth more than me scraping my own LinkedIn profile for my posts. Like that's a colossal waste of my time. Yeah. And it's taken me 10 years of listening to Scott teach me this to, to embrace it. So it's not, I, if you, if you have a struggle of giving up control, yeah. I, I feel you. Yeah. I'm going to need to speak to Scott clearly. Scott, you need to come, yeah. you'll, have, you'll have to have another conversation with me. We'll have to have a virtual cuppa or something. So. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for spending some time with us, Jules. It's been a uh, fun getting to know you and, and listening to uh, how you think about sales and everything. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they're uh, so inclined? Yeah, so um, honestly, if you put live it, love it, sell it into any Google search engine, you'll probably get every link there is, my website. I'm, I hang out on LinkedIn a lot. But Live It, Love It, Sell It is what I've created for you to be able to find me. So, uh, And it's the book as well. The book's called Live It, Love It, Sell It too. Awesome. That's awesome. I assume it's on Amazon and all those places? Yeah, it's on Amazon. Oh. And I've also got three reviews from the U.S. already. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. So, awesome. Jules, this has been so much fun. It's been yeah, a pleasure. Thank you. It's been lovely to meet you guys after watching you in the throwdown. Uh, it's oh, well, lovely to speak to you. I, I said yesterday when, uh, when all this stuff hopefully goes back to normal, the, the two, all the participants from the two events are going to have to meet up somewhere and have a, have a little party. That'll be I, definitely. Jules, Jules, will you go surfing? I know you won't skydive. Would you try to learn to surf? Yeah. All right. 
That's where we're bringing everybody needs to come special, to surf and sales. Scott. Special guest. Yeah, that's right. We should just have a special surf and sales for all of the participants in the yep. rodex. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. I definitely do surfing. <laughs> awesome. All right, Jules. All right. Thanks, Jules. See you guys. Ta ta. Bye.